This week on Disaffected, we examine the dishonest indictments against Donald Trump. Special counsel Jack Smith has upended established legal precedent and decency by trying to claim Trump broke the law by having the wrong opinion and by saying that wrong opinion out loud. Then we're going to look at the tragedy that is borderline personality disorder through examining Sinead O'Connor and her recent death. O'Connor and her music were a big part of my youth, and she's a text textbook example of the way the borderline personality produces a sinner and a saint, a victim and a perpetrator all at once. And then we'll end up looking at the political and cultural headlines featuring Lizzo and allegations of bananas served from between a stripper's legs, how Seattle doesn't want any more masculine white men or veterans applying for its police force, and how some badass schoolboys who've had enough gender nonsense are ripping tampon machines out of the boys' bathrooms. All that and more this week on Disaffected. Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is a show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens from Burlington, Vermont. This show has a hypothesis. That hypothesis is that the abusive psychology behind domestic abuse, child abuse, spousal abuse has gone public and feral. This is familiar to longtime show viewers, but new people tune in every week, and I want to invite you, if you're new, into the world of disaffected so that you can understand why we talk about society the way we do. There's a name for this kind of psychology. It is cluster B. That refers to a cluster of what are called personality disorders, and personality disorders are a kind of mental illness unlike the kinds of mental illness that probably come to your mind when you hear that phrase. They're not depression, even major clinical depression. They're not major clinical anxiety. They're not schizophrenia where a person is literally out of touch with reality and may be psychotic. They're not manic depression, also called bipolar disorder, where a person has periods of weeks of elation followed by weeks of suicidal despair. Personality disorders are exactly what the name says that they are. They are disorders of personality. Another word for them is character disorders. They mean there's something deeply dysfunctional about who you are consistently as a person. It is personal. And yes, it's bracing. They are long-standing, inflexible patterns of relating to yourself and to others emotionally. Personality disorders are deeper, and more intractable, and less likely to be treatable than simply major depression or anxiety or even manic depression. And I don't mean to, um, uh, to talk down the severity of those, but personality disorders are on another level. There are exceptions and overlaps here. I'm speaking generally. There are no medications that treat personality disorders. There can't ever be, by definition. There's no such thing as a pill that changes your personality and your emotional structure. They are ostensibly treatable with talk psychotherapy, but honest clinicians will tell you that the success rate of treating cluster B personality disorders is disappointingly low. Why? Because part of the syndrome, part of the disorder, is not believing that there is anything wrong with you. There's an inability among people with these disorders to believe that they could be wrong 
that they could be unfair or that they have made a mistake or a pattern of mistakes. Cluster B personality disorders broadly and generally feature high levels of narcissism, self-pity, repeated destructive behavior toward the self and toward other people, pathological lying, melodramatic emotions and outbursts, tantrums that look literally like a two to three year old toddler tantrum. And they look that way because they are in fact literally a two or three year old toddler tantrum. Another way to describe personality disorders of this type is arrested emotional development at the toddler stage because that's literally what has happened emotionally for these people. It is usually child abuse and neglect that produces people with these personality structures. We here at Disaffected, and that's me and Kevin, the other half of the show who usually stays behind the scenes, we say that the same domestic abuse that we recognize from abusive homes has now become normal and mainstream in daily life. The extraordinary narcissism, the entitlement, the fake claims of victimhood by people who themselves are abusing and exploiting others is obvious to anyone who walks out onto the street in contemporary America, at least large portions of this country. Today, in our era, it's not always going to be this way, wasn't always this way, but it is today. In our era, this problem is most prominent on the left side of the political spectrum, and the left is mainstream received opinion in this country. Mainstream opinion is left-leaning. It's not just, you know, one competing voice. That is the dominant narrative today in 2023 America. And no, I am not saying that fully half the country has a diagnosable personality disorder. That's absurd. I'm not saying that. I'm not even implying it. What I am saying is that the analogy to the abuse of home scales accurately to the societal level. In the home that is headed by a borderline, or a narcissist, like my mother was, we children had to play by cluster B rules. We enabled, we made excuses for our mother's behavior toward us. This is in my family. You can extrapolate it to any other family like mine. Um, we ran interference for our mother against people that she had abused or taken advantage of, and we saw her as a righteous figure. We defended her. This is what American society is now doing on the left. Those who are still loyal, um, either overtly or through tacit silence, to the democratic and mainstream media machine and narrative are acting as the abused children of narcissistic parents. They have taken on many of their abusers' traits, and they see, they see people who are actually victimized by the state in reality as the vile perpetrators. It's a reversal. Nowhere is this more obvious to me than the unprecedented, never before seen persecution and prosecution of former President Donald Trump. Now, Trump himself, in my view, is a narcissist, but so are all of his peers. Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Al Gore, John Kerry, I could keep going on this list for the entire hour of this show and still be talking. No one, no person who is not clinically narcissistic and a Machiavellian power grabber, no person who is not those things can possibly rise to the level of power necessary to grasp for the presidency. This is now simply the system. That doesn't mean that all narcissists, however, are always equally bad or always wrong. 
Trump is an egotist. He is biddable. He's easily swayed by flattery, by, by being told things that he wants to hear. His need for self-regard often leads him to act like a buffoon. But that does not mean that he's always wrong. And it doesn't mean that he is some kind of illegal man who is not allowed to exercise the same rights and the same freedom of speech and action that every American is entitled to exercise. This week, special counsel Jack Smith, you take a look at him here on your screen, he slapped Trump with what appears to be the seven millionth indictment to come out this year. And the claim in this most recent indictment is that Trump knowingly lied about believing that the 2020 election was stolen, that Trump deprived Americans of their rights by trying to stop a perfectly above board election, that's a real stretch by the way, tried to stop it from being certified, and that he denied Americans their voting rights by objecting to the outcome of the election. First things first, it's not illegal to lie. It's not illegal to lie. <laughs> I know, I know. Are you getting it or not, though? I, I never quite know where people are. Do, do they remember that? That you can't be thrown in jail simply and only for lying? I'm not sure that a lot of Americans know that. Second, how does Jack Smith, special counsel prosecutor Jack Smith, how does he know that Trump didn't actually believe that the election was illegitimate? How does he know that? How can he know that? Jack Smith has done what Elizabeth Tudor refused to do in the wars of religion in the 16th century, and that is to make windows into men's souls. Jack Smith is making windows into men's souls. The indictment itself is, is surprising reading. Let me give you a quote from it. Shortly after Election Day, the defendant also pursued unlawful means of discounting legitimate votes and subverting the election results. In so doing, the defendant perpetrated three criminal conspiracies. Now, note this. Jack Smith is smuggling some assumptions in here. He's claiming right here, right in what I just quoted to you, he's claiming that the election results are legitimate and that this is an established fact, as, as, as established a fact as that gravity holds things to the earth. And he is deliberately implying, again, smuggled assumptions, deliberately implying that Trump knew that the election was legitimate even on election night years ago when the question was still extant and in controversy. Oh, but he knew, he knew it was legitimate. He knew it was. <laughs> he can't know that. What Jack Smith is saying is expressed in this clip from one of the Star Wars movies. Your sad devotion to that ancient religion has not helped you conjure up the stolen data tapes or given you clairvoyance enough to find the rebels' hidden fort. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Enough of this. Vader, release him. As you wish. <laughs> What narcissist or sociopath wouldn't want that power? Trump's lack of faith disturbs the entire left to distraction. It doesn't just disturb them that he doesn't believe. It makes them derangedly angry that he doesn't believe. It made my narcissistic mother insanely angry when I didn't believe her lies or when I wouldn't tell her that I was lying 
and that I knew I was lying. The narcissistic mind is fragile and it requires not only sufficient faith, but sufficiently enthusiastic faith. Yes, mommy, I not only agree and believe you, but it's good that you believe that and I'm very happy that I believe it and agree with you. That's the kind of thing my mother demanded from me. I'm sorry for wrong thinking, Mr. Special Counsel Jack Smith. What came over me to make me think I had the right to question the legitimacy of an election? I am a morally corrupt boy and I repent. That is what Jack Smith wants. That's what the left wants right now. It's what the Democrats want. Reminder, this is not legally required in the United States. You don't have to profess this yet. That may change within the next year. Let's look at those three alleged criminal conspiracies. Quote, a conspiracy to defraud the United States by using dishonesty, fraud, and deceit to impair, obstruct, and defeat the lawful federal government function by which the results of the presidential election are collected, counted, and certified by the federal government in violation of U.S. Code uh, Chapter 18, blah, subsection 371. Then we've got the second of this, this uh, tripartite indictment. A conspiracy to corruptly obstruct and impede the January 6th congressional proceeding at which the collected results of the presidential election are counted and verified. Now, notice that phrasing, corruptly obstruct. That's emotional teenager slash millennial language. It's not the kind of thing that you usually see in federal legal filings written by adults. The goal of that is to push your emotions. Corruptly obstructed. At 54, you're a little old for Tumblr-style writing, Mr. Smith. And finally, the third, third part of the conspiracy, the alleged conspiracy, a conspiracy against the right to vote and to have one's vote counted in violation of federal law. That is remarkable. By objecting to the election, under the belief that the election was rigged or stolen, special counsel Jack Smith claims that this act of objecting itself, the act of objecting, is itself depriving people of the right to have their vote counted. Remarkable. That's a narcissistic reversal of the truth. Very obvious. Trump's own claim was that his voters were having their right to have their votes counted overridden. That is Trump's claim. Whether or not it's right, that's his claim. S Prosecutor Smith, he says that having this opinion and acting on it is depriving other people of their right to vote. Let me remind you of an acronym that is used to describe abusive personality tactics in domestic relationships. DARVO, the acronym is DARVO, D-A-R-V-O, and it stands for these words, deny, attack, reverse, victim, and offender, DARVO. Franz Kafka could not have written this indictment with more skill. Now, lawyer Alan Dershowitz um, explains this from a professional perspective. Let's listen to him uh, for a couple minutes. Under the terms of this indictment, Jack Smith, the prosecutor, could be indicted. Let me explain why. The core of the indictment is that Donald Trump lied to the public, that he lied, he just lied. But Jack Smith lied. In his indictment, 
he outlines the speech that John, Donald Trump made on January 6th. It's a very important part of the indictment, but he deliberately, willfully, and with malice leaves out the key words. He doctors the speech. He leaves out the fact that Donald Trump said, I want you to protest peacefully and patriotically. Peacefully and patriotically. Those are the two words that bring him within the First Amendment. Now, you can argue about that. What you cannot argue about is that a decent prosecutor, an honest lawyer, doesn't leave those words out of the indictment. And that's what Jack Smith did. He left those words out of the indictment. A lie by omission under the law can be just as serious as a lie by commission. So under the theory, the absurd theory that lying is now criminalized, Jack Smith could be turned into a criminal. <laughs> I, I hope I am that full of piss and vinegar when I'm, I, I don't know, Alan Dershowitz has to be eight, somewhere between 89 and, and 90. Well, you know I will be. <laughs> I'm not going to live that long. You all know that, too. Um, the entire, his entire episode, it's 30 minutes, is worth listening to. Um, but I have one more clip for you. Give you another example. One of the indictments is the post-Civil War Ku Klux Klan statute that says if two or more persons conspire to injure or threaten, threaten, threaten the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured under the Constitution, they can be convicted. So let's take the following scenario. Let's assume that the Court of Appeals or the Supreme Court agrees with me and many, many other lawyers, and says that everything Trump didn't said is protected by the First Amendment. Hasn't Jack Smith then committed the crime of threatening the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured under the Constitution, the free speech right, by indicting Donald Trump for expressing his opinion, his views about whether the election was fair or not, views I disagree with, but my views don't matter, it's his views that matter. By expressing those views, he was exercising his right under the First Amendment. If a court agrees with that, it follows that Jack Smith threatened his free exercise of his First Amendment right. Sounds reasonable to me. You know, I too, provisionally, and subject to other evidence. I, too, believe that the Democrats probably worked on some level to maneuver this election. Note this. I didn't have to say provisionally and subject to new evidence the way I just said it. I was not obligated to do that in order to be legally or morally allowed to say what I just did about disbelieving the election. I'm not legally or morally obligated to do that. An American citizen has the right to say what I just said with no softener and no pleading. I said it because I have a personal interest in you, my audience, understanding that I will change my mind if evidence contradicts something that I believe. That's important. I've had a hard time with that before, as most people have had a hard time with it, and uh, it's important to me uh, to do that. But I don't have to do that. I don't have to issue that disclaimer to avoid being indicted either legally or morally. Well, 
you know, I'm morally indicted constantly by people who don't want to hear what I have to say. And, you know, so is anybody who says the things that I do. But I don't have to. And neither does Donald Trump. Cast your mind back to 2016. Hillary Clinton and the entire Democratic establishment said that the 2016 election was stolen. Don't say you don't remember that. Everybody remembers that. I know they do. Trump colluded with the Russians. It was a Russian, it was a Russian conspiracy. It was Russian misinformation. They, they were so appalled, emotionally appalled, that that vulgar Donald Trump won the election that they refused to believe it. And they're perfectly within their right to do so. They committed no crime by saying the election was stolen. They may have been lying, they may have been misguided, but they did not commit a crime. Why aren't they being prosecuted? Why weren't they prosecuted? Why weren't they indicted? Oh, I know why. Because nobody in the history of this country has ever been indicted on such flimsy bullshit as this. This is new under the sun in our country. Darvo, deny, attack, reverse victim and offender. This is the same psychology as the narcissistic husband who hits his wife and then screams at her that she made him do it because she didn't believe his lies and she disrespected him by not believing his lies. It's the same psychology that a borderline girlfriend uses when she falsely accuses her boyfriend of rape in order to get custody of their love child because he made her do it by threatening not to do everything that she wanted him to do. The domestic is not just domestic anymore. This is cluster B. This is what cluster B looks like at societal scale. We're going to go to a break, but I want to remind you to sign up for us on Rumble. We are putting out not only our regular content, but more Rumble exclusive content. And in order to like it and leave a comment, you need to have an account. So sign up and get a Rumble account. Follow us on Rumble and we will see you after the break. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more, and all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. Our show, Environmental, last week, discussed the hysteria and the histrionics of the climate warriors. We showed you tape of Burlington, Vermont residents railing against the city, uh, the city council, to close the airport, ground all plane traffic in and out of Burlington, Vermont, stop construction of a heating pipeline, and accuse the city and all of their neighbors of wanting children and old people dead because of the climate emergency. 
The point of that episode was that there was no climate emergency and there is no climate emergency. This is all fake. It was made up by liars and carried out by gullible, weak-charactered, largely boomer leftists and millennials who have no sense of identity outside of pretending to be boss mommy of you and me and everyone else. We are all their kiddos. And there is no bigger mommy today online than YouTube and its parent company, Google. They will not allow any lack of faith in their narrative without making sure that you, the viewer and site visitor, are not harmed by my malinformation. This is what you see when you go to last week's episode on YouTube. Um, look underneath that, you see the context, but just giving context and nuance. Climate change, refer this is from the United Nations, climate change refers to long-term shifts in temperature and weather patterns mainly caused by human activities, especially the burning of fossil fuels. And they helpfully explain as well why you are uh, given this. So I did decide to ask why I was seeing this. Um, and you, you'll see in the next graphic here um, that, that YouTube helpfully when you hover your mouse over it, you know, why am I seeing this? Well, when you ask, as I did, this is what mommy told me. <laughs> it's a, uh, for you listeners in radio land, topical context in information panel, a little box pops out. Note, in response to coronavirus disease 2019, COVID-19, you may see information panels with links to learn more about COVID-19 or COVID-19 vaccine info. In some places, you'll notice COVID-19 info or COVID-19 vaccine info in local languages with links to local sources such as health ministries and centers for disease control. I'm sorry, I cannot help doing the intonation and the stupid school marm cadence because that is, that's what this is. I mean, do, do, you not, do you not feel like a fifth grader when you're spoken to this way? You should. Thanks, mommy. Thanks. Do you remember Creep Show 2, the second Creep Show in the 80s? <laughs> thanks for the ride, lady. Phil, thanks for the ride. <laughs> Next one. Um, when you want to learn more from mommy. Um, here we go. Information panels show basic background info sourced from independent third-party partners to give more context on a topic. If you want to learn more, the panels also link to a third-party partner's website. These information panels will show regardless of what opinions, what opinions or perspectives are expressed in a video. That's a lie. Information panels may not be available in all countries, regions, and languages. Mm -hmm. We're working to bring information panels to more countries slash regions. <laughs> Who are the independent third party partners? Well, they're people like this, the United Nations. This is what you get when you click through. United, Act United Nations, climate action. What is climate change? And they know facts too. Cold, no, no, I'm sorry, hot, boiling hard facts. <laughs> Next one. Humans are responsible for global warming. Climate scientists have showed that, hum 
have showed, have shown, you illiterate Muppets. Climate scientists have showed that humans are responsible for virtually all global heating over the past 200 years. Human activities like the ones mentioned above are causing greenhouse gases that are warming the world faster than any time in the last 2,000 years. And then you get this. You click through and you get this graphic. It is a globe in front of a stylized sun. The globe is wearing a surgical face mask and the there are human hands, a woman's hands coming out of the globe, holding up a sign that she's pointing to with a drawing of the earth and a big red flame graphic on it. Do you understand? Mommy's saying the earth is getting too hot and mommy's wearing a mask too because she loves you very much and wants you safe. God, it makes me sick. It, it's the infantilization. The infantilization is so provocative to me. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I have a personal emotional reaction to this, given my experience with my mother. But it really has set the template. I cannot stand being spoken to this way. And, you know, I think a lot of other adults can't stand being spoken to this way either. I hope that's true. But sadly, there are a lot of people who do feel comforted and taken care of by this, which is not a feeling you should have after the age of about 16. Okay. I want to talk about Sinead O'Connor. Sinead O'Connor has been hard to shake from my mind this past week. And yes, this is a segment about borderline personality disorder. It's obvious, it's really undeniably obvious that O'Connor was a severely compromised borderline. As you know, many of you longtime listeners, my mother is a borderline and also a narcissist. One of the goals of my years-long therapeutic work um, with my longtime therapist, early on in his words, was to develop empathy about my mother. And that doesn't mean what it sounds like on the surface. He, he, do, he didn't mean, and he doesn't mean that I should feel bad for her, that I should actively feel and express sympathy toward her, or that it somehow makes it okay that she warped and distorted her children from birth, which is what she did. To me, as her firstborn son, my mother was my worst tormentor, the worst tormentor I had in my life. She formed my mind and my character with that mistreatment and abuse from an early age. What empathy means in this context is understanding, not sympathy, not excuse making. It means understanding that were I or you in her shoes, might I or you have become who she became? How did it happen? What broke her in a way that compelled her to break her children? I'm making progress on this, but I often have to approach it obliquely. I, I approach it through avatars of my mother by wearing dark glasses so that I can look at her eclipse without going blind. And I've done this through my mental relationship and, and my fanhood around Joan Crawford, another borderline abusive mother. I've done it through my decades-long obsession with Madonna, who is also obviously a cluster B woman. It's not a reasonable request 
to make of a child of an abusive parent to ask him to directly feel sympathy and complete emotional detachment with equanimity. When the most important person in your life hurts you as badly as my mother did, there will always be a personal, deeply sore spot for me that can't be washed away and it can't be therapized away. And anger at this can and does still come back, even though I'm not globally angry 24 hours a day at my mother, as I was the first year to two years after my break with her, um, it can come back. But I can walk around my mother psychologically with people like Sinead O'Connor. Since her death about a week and a half ago, which is almost certainly a suicide, not verified, but almost certainly is, I felt really great sadness for her and a lot of pity. Look what you could have been. Look how beautiful and ungodly talented you were. I've been equally angry at her and equally disgusted with her. She abused her children, and that's obvious. Her derangement played out in public over decades. She screamed. She cried hysterically. She did it on camera. She did it on people's television shows. She did it on her own YouTube channel. She gave in to paranoid persecution fantasies very frequently, and she changed her name and religion time and time and time again. Imagine what it was like for her children. You know what their emotional world must have been like. And, of course, very tragically, her 17-year-old son killed himself last year as well. It should be obvious to anybody that Sinead O'Connor had a terminal case of borderline personality disorder, but as usual, most of society doesn't know what this is and very few people are talking about it. Someone, however, is, and someone who writes very well with keen insight. I recommend to you the Substack article I'm going to excerpt from the blog, Millennial Woes. It's titled, In the Absence of Order, The Life, Self-Destruction, and Death of Sinead O'Connor. I will link that full article in the notes below this video. From the article. The Irish singer-songwriter Sinead O'Connor has died. She was 56. The cause of death has not yet been revealed, but I would be very surprised if it was not suicide. When the news first broke, I was quite shocked. For the rest of the evening, I remained in this state, not depressed, but a bit shaken. This was a celebrity death that mattered to me in a way that few have done. This is a man writing, by the way, just so you know. I wasn't even a fan. Most of her music isn't my kind of thing, but still, it was clear to me that a powerful and unique creative voice was gone from the world. I was probably aware of Sinead O'Connor dimly from when she first became famous in the late 1980s, but I was just a small child then. My first memory of being consciously aware of her is from 1994. I encountered her song, Thank You for Hearing Me. It is a truly beautiful piece. To describe it would be clumsy, so I will simply suggest that the song be given a chance. It can speak for itself as a work of art. And art is what Sinead O'Connor created. Her work is not bubblegum pop music, nor is it the dumb rebellion of so much rock music. It is something sincere. In the modern parlance, it comes from a place of honesty. People use that phrase all the time now. I speak my truth, but I think in the case of Sinead O'Connor, it's actually accurate. End quote. For those of you who don't know, O'Connor's first hit in the 1990s, I was early 90s was a song written by Prince called Nothing Compares to You and it was aptly named we have never heard a voice with her vocal quality it's extraordinary it's raw it's aching and it's beautiful she was innately gifted she caused a raging controversy 
1992 when she went on Saturday Night Live and ripped up a picture of the Pope to protest sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. Sinead was in fact canceled in 1992 to exactly the same degree that you see cancellation today. It was no softer. The only difference with today is that cancellation today is so normalized and indiscriminate. And for the record, I believe Sinead O'Connor that she was abused by her mother and by clerics in the Catholic institutions that she was placed in. It's completely believable, and this woman bore the obvious psychological scars of early childhood abuse and sexual abuse. More from this article. Quote, they said one thing, that is the mainstream music industry, they said one thing, she did the opposite. This behavior shows a strong spirit, but it is characteristic of a personality disorder which would loom large in O'Connor's life and will crop up again and again in this essay, Borderline Personality Disorder. The common misconception about BPD is that it means someone is on the borderline of having a personality disorder. This is not so. It is a disorder, one in which a, the person, usually a woman, has a dysfunctional relationship with borders and boundaries. Perhaps she got far too little discipline as a child or far too much. Next quote. Or perhaps she had endured a lot of physical or sexual abuse, rupturing her ability to connect meaningfully with other people. Undermining her self-image could result in her having a warped understanding of where she ends and other people begin. O'Connor claimed to have been viciously and relentlessly abused by her mother between the ages of 8 and 13. She was physically and verbally and psychologically, spiritually and emotionally abusive. During this time, her father was struggling to gain custody and res rescue his children from their sadistic, unhinged, Valium-addicted mother. Now, the author spends some bit of time considering that some of O'Connor's siblings say things didn't happen that way, and like many, I think that the author may not understand that siblings in these families routinely remember things differently and experiencing, experience them differently. Joan Crawford's second set of adopted children, after Christina and Christopher, denied all the allegations that Christina, the first child, had made, and much of which they could not have witnessed and known about because they hadn't been born and they weren't in the house. Until I was 41, I denied to everyone that my mother had ever abused me. I said, and this is a verbatim quote, my mother is a saint. We are children of the lie, to borrow from M. Scott Peck, and we usually don't know we're lying. We're not doing it consciously, but we're broken and we're lying to ourselves to protect an eggshell-thin psyche. A little more from the article. <clears throat> but the claims, her claims, are very dramatic from her 2021 memoirs. My earliest memory was her telling me I shouldn't be born. She didn't want me. She didn't want girls. She wanted me to be a boy. She treated me like a boy. She chopped off my hair. Whenever she beat me, which was daily, she made me take my clothes off and lie naked on the floor, my arms and legs open. She would attack my abdomen, wanting to burst my womb and destroy my reproductive system. She wanted me to stop being a female. That's Sinead O'Connor. Yes, these are very dramatic claims. I do not know if they're true, but they are absolutely believable. They are not unbelievable. There are mothers like this, and normal people from normal homes have a very hard time believing it. But have they never once in their lives read a story of child abuse in the paper? Have they never watched Dateline, never watched a true crime documentary? Is it possible that Sinead O'Connor exaggerated? Sure. But that propensity, the inclination to do that, comes from somewhere, and that somewhere is almost certainly severe child abuse, even if it isn't exactly as described. 
the the millennial woes article is really long, but it's worth every minute of your attention. Um, and Sinead O'Connor's unstable identity, I think, couldn't have been more obvious. In 2017, she changed her name to Magda David to escape what she called the patriarchal slave name. Here's Magda, a picture of her on the Dr. Phil show. And then the next year, she converted to Islam and changed her name to Shuhada David. And here we have a picture of her in this identity. Over the years, Sinead O'Connor raged on video for the world to see from her home, on television shows, crying, screaming, sometimes literally rending her garments. She said horrible things about her family and about her own children. She appears to me to be a, to have been one of those borderlines who was prone to frequent psychotic breaks where they do actually depart from reality. Audience, this is borderline personality disorder. It is to be sinner and saint, victim and abuser. I've complained many times about how we always refer to those who, quote, suffer from borderline personality disorder, and we're referring to the borderline, but we're never refer referring to the children of the family. I still think we give too much sympathy to the abuser and not enough to the victims. But Sinead O'Connor did suffer. There's no doubt that she suffered. My mother suffered, and she suffers still. Yet the children of these women also suffered from their choices and from their incompetence and their inadequacy as parents. It's not something I can forgive, even though I can now better understand it. And wherever Sinead O'Connor is, or if she's nowhere at all, I hope that she is, in fact, resting in peace. Going to a break here, but we would love to have your support to make this show. If you like what you have here and you want to see more of it, Please join us and give us some support. Two options. You can go to disaffectedpod.substack.com and sign up as a paid subscriber. You can also do the same thing on subscribestar.com slash disaffected. You get the same perks and benefits with each. And when you do subscribe and support us, you're going to get access to our private backstage Discord server with about 400 other people who like the show and like the topics we talk about. So I hope to see you there. Come back after the break. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more, and all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. It's time to hit the news headlines. Item, quote, a school district in Oregon is teaching kids about metagenders and demiromantics, among other radical ideas. In a new curriculum aimed at 10th graders, 
Hillsborough School District is explaining concepts such as romantic orientation and, quote, neutral pronouns, including z zer. <laughs> Why do kids need to know about this? Are they teaching them about the historical reality of the Flintstones, too? <laughs> More from this story. Oregon is one of the more progressive states where gender ideology is concerned. In 2022, the Democrat-dominated legislature introduced a statewide ordinance. That's a law, actually. That required schools to place tampon machines in male toilets. In one high school, the boys hit back and began pulling the machines out of their facility. Based. Based. <laughs> Quote, in a photo posted on social media, the boys had taken the dispenser and placed it down the toilet. <laughs> a move met with applause by many fellow users on various platforms. School officials subsequently sent an email to pupils accusing them of vandalism. Quote, each time that the dispensers are taken down, the school needs to spend time and resources putting them back up in order to be compliant with House Bill 3294, the email stated. How about if the school said, piss off? How about if the school said, no? No. We are not going to indulge in your fantasy land. We are not going to put tampons in the boys' locker rooms. We do not recognize that young females, females, who call themselves Jack or Skylar, and who tell us that we have to believe that they're boys because they take testosterone, how about if we say no to that? Yeah, I know. I know there are consequences. I know there are consequences. Yeah, some of those consequences might be getting cut off from federal funding and state funding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this week, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug something here um, that I should have I should have actually made a note, but I'm glad I remembered. I had a conversation this week that I think you might be interested with with a fascinating woman named Leslie Elliott. Look for her on YouTube. Her channel is called The Radical Center. Leslie Elliott is, uh, you, many of you will, will recognize her when you see her face. She is the woman who about eight or nine months ago <clears throat> um, broke her silence. She was canceled out of her degree counseling, her graduate degree counseling program at Antioch because she would not take the wokeness anymore. And she was pushing back and saying, what you are telling us to do with our clients and patients is not actually therapy. You are asking us to affirm delusion and disorder. Um, you can imagine what she was met with by, yes, the cabal of progressive women who run that department. Um, but the re I, so um, the uh, we had Leslie and I had a conversation on our show that came out just a couple of days ago. And I talked about consequences on that show and the frequent claim from people when when one says we need to be braver, we need to be more courageous, we need to say no more. We need to be defiant. People say, I can't do that. I can't, I can't, I can't. And my answer to that is, stop saying the word can't. I don't recognize the truth of that word. 
you can. You actually are able. You may make that choice. That is a choice that is physically and emotionally possible for you. It's not that you can't. It's that you do not wish to. You are choosing not to. And everybody is differently situated. I, for example, have made a lot of choices. I've made choices that scuttled my career, as most of you know. But I don't have three children to feed. I recognize that I'm differently situated from other people. But that's as far as I'm going to go. I'm not going to recognize any more than that. Because what, what, what has happened is that everyone has a showstopper excuse. Everyone's I can't is just accepted. Well, I can't do that because my job would be in jeopardy. If my job were in jeopardy, then my kids would be in jeopardy. If my kids would be in jeopardy, then da 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 There's no end to that. There's no natural stopping point. If you just say, I can't say no, then you will never say no. Sometimes life requires you to make hard choices. Yes, sometimes those choices mean that you are putting yourself at risk. And yes, sometimes that risk will come true. You will lose something. You have to decide for yourself, but no more, I can't. Now let's talk about Lizzo. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, uh, there she is on your screen. Isn't she a delight? In a, <laughs> in a see-through, what do you call, is that a bodysuit? Is it, it looks like gauze. It looks like gauze that, that has arm and leg holes in it. Um, and she's wearing under, she, well, she's wearing nothing underneath. You can see her, you can see her breast fully, fully see them, fully with nipples and areola. She's basically nude on the street. And you can see, um, I'm going to be vulgar and point it out because she's vulgar and walked out of her house like that. Um, you can see what appears to be her pubic region. Um, I suspect that it's a, a, a very, very small G-string. And I was telling Kevin while we were getting ready for the show that it reminds me of a scene from Female Trouble, the John Waters movie Female Trouble from 1974 when Divine, the fat drag queen who was John Waters' muse and played all the title characters, uh, when Divine got married in a scene in a see-through wedding dress. It was a, a, fish, a fishtail dress. Uh, but it was gauze and see-through like what um, like what Lizzo was wearing. And you look when you're watching Female Trouble and you see <laughs> what appears to be a triangular dark pubic patch. <laughs> and, and Divine. <laughs> Divine called, that's my cheater. I was wearing my cheater. <laughs> it's a cheater for the non-existent cooter. <laughs> so Lizzo, why are we talking about Lizzo? <laughs> what else is there to talk about? Item, Dateline, Los Angeles. Three of Lizzo's former dancers have accused the singer, I'm sorry to break here. <laughs> the window's slightly open here. This is everywhere now. All I can smell is marijuana, skunkweed coming right in the window. You walk down, there is no place to go anymore. I have no problem with weed. I am a late night um, uh, smoke myself to sleep user myself admitted, stipulated, but it's everywhere and it's normal now. We had this entire raging um, morality fest in which we dehumanized cigarette smokers to the point where people would actually scream at them on the street if they saw them smoking outside because even a whiff of secondhand tobacco smoke meant that you all were gonna get cancer and die tomorrow. Nobody says a goddamn thing about the fact that you can walk down the streets in the business district or in residential districts and smell nothing but marijuana smoke. Not just cigarette smoke, but marijuana smoke. Maybe you'll get a contact high. It just irritates me. People are so hypocritical. Back to Lizzo. 
Okay, so three of Lizzo's former dancers have accused the singer of sexual harassment and creating a hostile work environment in a lawsuit filed Tuesday. They also allege that she pressured one of them, the backup dancers, to touch a nude performer at an Amsterdam club and subjected the group to a, quote, excruciating audition after leveling false accusations that they were drunk on the job. The dancers accused Lizzo, a performer known for embracing body positivity and celebrating her physique, of calling attention to one dancer's weight gain and later berating, then firing that dancer after she recorded a meeting because of a health condition. You know, it's so shocking that you go to work for a world-famous celebrity with obvious narcissistic tendencies and a vulgar, lewd, and humiliatingly sexual stage presence and you find yourself being treated narcissistically in a vulgar, lewd, and sexually humiliating way. How could that have happened? How? How could I know? <laughs> Here's the lawyer for the defendants. Quote, the stunning nature of how Lizzo and her management team treated their performance seems to go against everything Lizzo stands for publicly. While privately she weight shames her dancers and demeans them in ways that are not only illegal, but absolutely demoralizing. Uh, no, it's not a surprise. And these girls, these backup dancers, they knew what they were getting. I don't have any sympathy for these people any of them, any of these Hollywood assholes. They knew what they were getting. They wanted to bask in the fame and fortune of Lizzo's fame and fortune as a stepping stone to bigger things on their career. And now they're sore about it. Well, you gotta pay the price. Sorry, ladies. Oh, by the way, by the way, they claim that she made them eat bananas out of some stripper's vagina. And I absolutely believe them. <laughs> As the Pillsbury commercial told us, loving from the oven, beep, beep. <laughs> and finally, we have um, item, white males and veterans not wanted for the Seattle Police Department. Quote, Seattle Mayor Bruce Harrell issued guidelines in March 2023 instructing the Seattle Police Department to feature, quote, less white males and officers with a, quote, military bearing. Seattle Police Officers Guild President Officer Mike Solon is infuriated by the guidance. They are noting that when politics are intentionally inserted into public safety policing, we all lose. Seattle City Council passed a plan last year to prioritize applicants with, quote, diverse racial and immigration backgrounds, and diverse, diverse. No, 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 no. That's not what that means. That means they want black people for officers, and that's all they want. No, no. They don't want Asians either, because Asians are white adjacent, you see. Maybe the Filipinos could squeak through. I'm not sure. Um, diverse racial and immigration backgrounds. Really, I cannot remember which state and city, it, which state it was, but I did reason. I did read a news article this week, and yes, I did uh, confirm. I saw multiple sources reporting the same thing. I can't remember the state, but there is a state now that is allowing non-U.S. citizens non-U.S. citizens that they describe as immigrants, I don't even know if their immigration status is legal or illegal, 
to become police officers. Mm -hmm. So we have non-U.S. citizens now in the position of arresting American citizens. But I'm a racist and I'm a xenophobe for having any questions about that, right? More on the Seattle Police Department. Seattle Police Department is composed of or comprised. Oh, sorry, I, I edited that to be correct. It's not is comprised of. It's composed of nearly 70 percent white members, which corresponds to the population of Seattle. According to PoliceScorecard.org, Seattle Police Department's demographics align with the city of Seattle. So it's unclear why the mayor's office would want to adjust recruitment materials. <laughs> yes, I know, news writer, you have to say it's not clear, but it is, isn't it? The statistics shift when you look at people arrested and people killed, then the data shows a racial disparity toward people who identify racially as black. Um, the Seattle Police Department is under a federal oversight program um, because of what is claimed to be a demonstrated pattern of using excessive force. Um, this is another thing I just don't believe anymore. Um, every time... I have, and and I'm not I'm not an original researcher on this. I, re, I rely on on what other researchers do, but I do follow up sources. I do I do actually at least spot check and go to some of the original sources and say, is what this writer's saying an accurate reflection of what this study shows? Does the math does the arithmetic add up on this spreadsheet? And every single time I've I've gone down that road when there is a claim that the police force is biased against black people and there are more arrests and they're charged with more crimes. The claim is that this is because of racism. And every single time, I don't see any evidence of racism. Do you know what I see? I see evidence of vastly disproportionate numbers of black people committing serious crimes. Criminals get arrested. It's not racist to arrest a criminal who robs a store because the criminal is black. I know I shouldn't have to say this, and I know it sounds so obvious, but we're living in a society that expects us to swallow and regurgitate this stuff. It is so ludicrous. Um, what do we got here to end up with? Um, yeah, I got more on this. It, it exercises me so much. Um, you see, this, this kind of stuff has never been about equality. It's never been about proportional representation by population, although activist groups claim that they simply want proportional representation. It's not about that. It's about being above and privileged. They don't want equality. They want to be power over. They want minority supremacy, not, not equality. And the fact is, there simply are not enough minorities today in America, in the era that we live in today, with a black culture that obtains in this society. We, to, we cannot have proportionate representation and have fully qualified police officers. And I am not saying that black people are incapable of doing any of these things. That is not the claim I'm making. This is the same thing as universities dumbing down admissions through affirmative action and claiming that all the minorities they let in under affirmative action had just as much potential, same quality academic background as any non-minority. It's not true. All you have to do is look at their test scores and see it isn't true. So again, no, I'm not saying black people, because they are black, are constitutionally incapable of being professional police officers. Of course I'm not saying that. It's ridiculous. Very, there are some people who say that. 
that it is true that there are some people who say that. They're a very small minority of people. The truth is that mainstream black culture today, 2023, in the 21st century, in this country, right now is producing uneducated, hostile to education, aggressive, lawless young people at far greater rates than any other population. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows it's true. Even the people who say it isn't true, the ones who scream and call you a racist, they know it's true in their guts. That's why they're so damned angry when you point it out. Black commentators like Glenn Lowry acknowledge this. They know it's true. They say it out loud. And for that, they, black men like Glenn Lowry, are called the white face, the black face of white supremacy, just like they pull that stuff with Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. And that brings us to the end of our show. Visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com for our essays and our musings, or at subscribestar.com slash disaffected for the same content. If you become a supporter at either place, you'll get access to our private Discord chat server and backstage recording events. If you're on Twitter, find us. We have the handle at disaffectedpod. And don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcast app. We release audio-only episodes, not just the audio version of this show, but standalone episodes that are audio-only. Um, and we're back to doing again, so make sure you uh, subscribe. This week, we put out part two of our conversation with disaffected show friend Nick Lopez, where he talks about high-speed rail in the United States and its discontents. So, this has been Disaffected, which has not been brought to you by Hanna-Barbera Studios. See you next week. <laughs>